0: Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 402 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I could not be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about marriage, right? Yesterday was uh, Valentine's Day. And I think it's very important uh, that we take an objective view uh, of marriage and the financial sense that it may ultimately make uh and those of you who are not romantics and those of you who do not believe that marriage is an important thing, uh just stick around and see uh the impacts that it can have on your financial life. So just stick around for a discussion of all that and more in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify Podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions, and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. Now, there's no telling the number of individuals that got uh, proposed to or proposed to someone uh, yesterday, right? Valentine's Day uh, is a very lovey-dovey day for so many people, right? Uh, Valentine's Day is a fantastic reminder uh, to love those around you, it's a fantastic reminder uh, to love those closest to you, right? It's a fantastic reminder uh, to buy your wife or your girlfriend some flowers, right? Uh, but I also want to use it uh, as a fantastic reminder uh, that marriage can make some financial sense, right? Uh, that marriage can be a good thing when it comes to our financial lives, right? Uh, and this is 100% a money show that's why it's called Money's No Object, right? Uh, but I want to uh, you know, help you to understand that this particular a relational aspect can have a lot of financial repercussions. It can have a lot of financial impacts. And very often we like to uh, disregard relational things uh, for the math, right? We like to uh, set aside all these relational things and say, okay, those don't matter as much as the numbers do. When in fact, they probably matter a whole lot more, Right? Uh, so we need to understand the impacts that marriage can have on our financial lives. Now, should we make the decision to get married or be married based on the financial repercussions? Absolutely not. right? Uh, but you should understand the financial repercussions and understand that maybe getting married just isn't all that bad. So for many people, marriage brings a vast swath of benefits, including financial ones. Right? But if you have a significant other who believes that getting married is more of a financial liability than a benefit, don't be surprised because that mindset is more common than you think, right? Far too many th- people think that getting married is going to cost them something more than it's going to gain them anything. Now, many people uh, largely confused by the long-held belief that married couples pay more in taxes than those who are single, Uh, However, not only is this largely untrue for many couples, uh, but there are several reasons why marriage makes financial sense, right? Uh, So obviously, first, we should tackle taxes, right? Taxes uh, is something that so many people think about and that is so relevant when it comes to uh, being married. Now, America's progressive tax system uh, can cut both ways for couples. So what a progressive tax system is uh, is when you have Uh, more money, right? You're making more money. You are going to pay a higher percentage of your income and taxes, right? And I talked last week, you can go back and check out that Fundamental Friday episode about how we are taxed in the United States, right? Uh, It's not like when you get into a new bracket, you pay a certain percent of all your income, right? That would not be um, a fair way to go about it. You pay uh, a certain fixed amount, then uh, you pay a certain percentage above um a certain dollar amount of income that you already have right i explained it in that episode you can go back and watch that right but that's what our progressive tax system looks like now despite various attempts at reform a marriage penalty still exists for some couples who earn about the same and are pushed into a higher tax bracket uh, when their family income more or less doubles at marriage right Uh, this holds for both high and low income couples so here we're talking about two people, let's say two people made about the same amount of money, uh, then this can have uh, a disproportionate effect on them and the taxes, uh, that they pay. So let's just think about this year, right? Let's just think about, uh, in 2022, uh, if somebody, uh, let's say made, I don't know, $50,000, right. Um, and their spouse made $50,000, right. Uh, Well, that would keep you in the 22% tax bracket in both cases, but there are tax situations uh, in which you can basically have really close incomes to one another, but it bumps you up, not necessarily in tax bracket, but in the amount of taxes paid, right? And the amount of tax that you would ultimately pay uh, based on the fact that you're in those new married filing jointly um, tax brackets. Now, by contrast couples in which one partner earns all the income or significantly more than the other uh, sometimes benefit from a marriage bonus because the higher earners bracket drops after marriage right Uh, so this is quite clear as well right you could be somebody uh, who's a single filer making a hundred thousand dollars a year and having to pay whatever it is 22 or 24 percent in taxes and then let's say you get married and your spouse stays home with the kids or whatever, uh, it would greatly decrease the amount of money that you are going to uh, pay in taxes every year. Now eliminating marriage penalties and bonuses would require a significant rewrite of the tax code uh, that would have far reaching effects. Instead, lawmakers rely on marriage penalty workarounds. Now, uh, let's be clear, right? In f- so many cases, right? So many cases, there's a spouse that makes more money than the other spouse right? And so typically people are getting some type of benefit uh, or just a net neutral uh, from the taxation of being married, right? Um, So if if nothing else, if nothing else, what you're going to see is that there's really no change in taxes from not being married to being married. Uh, But there are very small instances uh, when that can change. Now, in all, uh, marriage bonuses can amount to 21% of a couple's income, while marriage penalties can amount uh, to as much as 12% according to the tax foundation. So, ultimately, uh, the help that you would get uh, tax-wise can be far greater than the penalties that you may pay uh, by getting married. Now, There's other benefits to being married as well. So Social Security benefits would be one place. So when married, you may be entitled to retirement benefits from Social Security. That is 50% of your spouse's benefit. If your benefit is less than 50% of your spouse's benefit, so this would be another case where uh, income disparities were quite high between spouses, right? This will apply to you. Qualifying will be dependent on whether specific requirements are met according to the Social Security Administration. This would also apply to divorcees that were married for at least ten years and have not remarried. Ultimately, this provides more security to a spouse that earns significantly less than the primary wage earner in the household. Now, all this is not even bringing into um, into the fold the fact that uh, you could, um, you know, if your spouse were to pass away, right? You're married. Your spouse passes away, uh, then you can take their Social Security benefit if it is a greater amount than your own, uh, you know, given some certain uh, parameters that you have to fall into. But ultimately, right, uh, Social Security is going to make sure that, um, you know, the you know lower paid spouse is better taken care of. So if you're somebody who's saying, hey, I don't want to get married, what is it more than just uh, a legal contract, whatever, right? Uh, well, you know, good luck. Your, your spouse you know, passes away at an older age and you can't get your hand on any of their Social Security benefits or right? You make far less than your, you know, your partner or whatever, right? Um, you make far less than they do. And then uh, it comes around to the fact that uh, you can't get your hand on any of their social security benefits. So um, I would suggest, quite obviously, that getting married is valuable when it comes to social security benefits, right? And social security benefits, even though they shouldn't, they do play such a large role in the financial lives of many retirees. Now, what about uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, right? The advent of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, was signed by President Donald Trump on December 22nd of 2017. It led to several changes in the tax code that were intended to lower corporate, individual, and estate taxes. Uh, there's already been much discussion about how the tax code uh, change makes only small reductions to income tax rates for most individual uh, tax brackets while awarding significant tax reductions to corporations. Also, the cuts that benefit individuals will phase out in 2025, but will remain for corporations and other entities, right? That debate aside, there's much new information for married couples to consider. The American Rescue Plan, signed by President Biden on March 11th of 2021, included robust tax breaks to low and moderate income people. For example, in 2021 only, uh, the size of the earned income tax credit increased to $1,502 for childless households. Individuals without children uh, could claim earned uh, income tax credit beginning at age 19 instead of the previous age 25 uh, and the upper limit age 65 was eliminated, right? So just again, there can be uh, some tax implications of the fact that you uh, are married for all of these uh, major legislations that have been passed through. Now, First of all, uh, the new tax brackets for married couples filing a joint return are now approximately double uh, the single tax rate uh, at the same income, except for those uh, in the 35 and 37% brackets, right? The alignment limits uh, a primary cause of the previous marriage penalty uh, as more couples filing jointly find that their combined incomes now place them in a lower bracket, right? Again, back to this uh, ultimate Advantage, right? There is to being married is that um, you know it can very likely drop you into a lower tax bracket. Now, similarly, the child tax credit phase out has been uh, aligned, beginning at four hundred thousand for couples, double the two hundred thousand uh, dollar phase out for singles under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Uh, previously, the phase out was seventy five thousand for singles and one hundred and ten thousand for couples, so they kind of realign that to where you know couples get double. Uh, the um, you know the limit there double that income advantage so uh, this change eliminated other potential marriage penalties for couples with kids but in two thousand and twenty five these amounts will replace the larger amount from two thousand and seventeen unless the law is extended all right uh, so just a quick fact the limit on the child tax credit uh, previously two thousand dollars was raised to three thousand dollars for children age six through seventeen and thirty six hundred for children under six, uh, this change was a part of the American uh, Relief Act of 2021, and is effective only for the 2021 tax year. Um, it is phased out for singles with incomes above 75,000 and couples with incomes above 150,000. So, just think about this for a second, right? Think about if you make 120,000 a year, let's say, right? Um, and let's say your spouse stays home, your spouse does not work, right? I I know I'm using that as an example, but that is who is really benefiting most in these taxable uh, situations, right? These taxation situations, right? Uh, So if you, a single individual, had children, right? And you made $120,000 a year, you would not be able to get that child tax credit, right? That child tax credit would not apply to you. But if you're a married individual, right? You just get married and you still make $120,000 a year. Now you qualify for that child tax credit, right? So it makes a difference um, in your tax situation by simply being married. Again, um, if you had two people who both made $75,000 a year, then it's not going to matter, right? You're going to hit the uh, limit in both cases, right? But in one case where you have Uh, an individual that makes far more than the other spouse, which is super common, uh, then you can have quite the advantage there. Now, the alternative minimum tax, AMT, is a tax regime that runs parallel to normal tax rules and applies to higher income individuals and couples. Under the AMT, when taxes are calculated, the higher of the two figures is what's owed by the taxpayer, much to the ire of those lucky enough to trigger it. The AMT remains under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, but the new rule has increased the AMT exemption and the income level at which the AMT phases out. The result is that the AMT uh, will hit fewer high income taxpayers, right? So again, all this uh, has to do with is uh, the you know distribution of incomes between spouses uh, as well. If we look at just retirement savings, right? Just the idea of saving for retirement, how can you benefit Uh, as somebody who is married versus somebody who isn't. So let's look at IRA contributions. The income ceiling for traditional and Roth IRA contributions is far higher for married couples uh, in which one spouse has no income, right? Going back to that same example, you make $120,000 a year, your spouse makes nothing, uh, then you can really benefit from uh, some of these ceilings. Now, given that a spouse of an employed taxpayer may contribute to an IRA even if they don't have a paid job, a couple fitting this description can sock away extra thousands of dollars for retirement, a total contribution for each partner, uh, while achieving significant tax benefits. So, let me just give you an example, right? Let's say uh, that one person makes, let's say, $150,000 a year. Their spouse makes nothing, right? Their spouse stays home. So, $150,000 $150,000 a year would allow you uh, to contribute to a Roth IRA. So you can contribute to the Roth IRA, but not only could you contribute to the Roth IRA for yourself, you could contribute to the Roth IRA for yourself. And if you are uh, filing a joint tax return, you can you know fully contribute to a Roth IRA for your spouse. So you can put up to $12,000 currently, right? Uh, a year into Roth IRAs while making $150,000 a year. Whereas if there's another individual who makes $150,000 a year um, and they're a single individual, they can put no money into a Roth IRA because they are over uh, the income ceiling, right? Over the income limit uh, for the Roth IRA, right? Uh, So this gives you a substantial tax benefit, allows you to grow substantially more of your money tax-free based simply on the fact that you are married, right? This is a marriage incentive um, so if you're wondering whether such marriage incentives and disincentives have any effect on whether a couple will marry, well, they don't. Now, that said, they do influence how much each spouse works, which absolutely, uh, it would seem logical if they should. So traditional IRA contributions do have income phase-outs. For 2022, $68,000 to $78,000 is range for individuals. For married couples filing jointly, uh, it goes up to 109,000 to 129,000. And these amounts apply to when the spouse making the IRA contribution is covered by a workplace retirement plan, according to the IRS. For the Roth IRA, contribution phase-outs uh, from 129 to 144 for single taxpayers and 204 to 214 for married filing jointly, right? So you see some substantial advantage there uh, to, in, in that situation where you have somebody who makes $150,000 a year. Now, while we're talking about marriage or rather the end of one, a significant change under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is that taxpayers who pay alimony after December 31st, 2018 are no longer able to deduct their payments. Likewise, those who received uh, their final divorce decree after January 1st, 2019 now have to claim alimony as ordinary income, right? Uh, So again, staying uh, married for uh, the fact that Uh, you know, you don't have to deal with this alimony taxation deal could be useful, but don't stay married just because of, uh, you know, alimony, but you know, stay married because you love somebody stay married because you, um, you know, wanted to work something out. Now, what about health insurance benefits uh, of being married? Now, possibly the largest financial benefit of getting married is health insurance and the possibility of benefit shopping. If one person has access to company-sponsored health insurance, they can add their spouse to their policy for an additional cost. If both have access to health insurance, they can choose the best or the cheapest plan. And uh, this is extremely valuable, right? My wife and I, we uh, have gone through this exact thing, right? We, um, last year, both turned 26 and so uh, came off of our parents' health insurance. And then, you know, we looked up and we go, okay, well, your job offers you uh, health insurance, mine doesn't. Um, you know, your job offers these other benefits. You know, let's see what works best for each of us, right? And let's pick, and let's pick the most cost-effective, right? And let's pick uh, the best plan for each of us in this situation. It is very valuable to be able to do this. So, when couples enter a marriage, and both have company-sponsored health insurance, they have to decide whether both should keep their insurance or whether one spouse will join the other's plan. Generally, coverage can be changed in the 60 days following the marriage. Now, remember uh, that couples who get their health insurance via an exchange must enroll together, although each individual can choose a different plan. Also, if each partner received a subsidy via the Affordable Care Act when single, uh, they likely would be penalized once they are married, as their combined salaries could probably push them over the cutoff threshold, right? which is common with... Um, the Affordable Care Act because it has a lot to do with your income. However, the subsidy cliff was temporarily eliminated due to the coronavirus pandemic, potentially saving some enrollees thousands of dollars per year in 2021 and 2022. Married couples also tend to get big discounts on long-term care insurance. And if you don't know what that is, long-term care insurance is where you pay premiums uh, to an insurance company to insure against Uh, the need for you to go into some long-term care facility, right? Like a nursing home or something, right? Now, this is because couples tend to care for each other at home for as long as possible, reducing the insurer's liability, right? The insurer is only going to need to pay if you go into some facility and need some type of assistance. But if your spouse is taking care of you, which is, um, you know, quite commonly the case, uh, then you are going to get uh, this discount on this type of insurance that can be very, very valuable to so many people, uh, which quick aside, long-term care insurance for uh, many individuals can be very valuable. It's it's a costly type of insurance um, and it shouldn't be even, you know, got. It, you shouldn't even get it until you are, um, you know, pushing 60, right? But at the same time, um, you know, it's so valuable, can provide a lot of Uh, to people, especially uh, people with moderate amounts of assets, right? If you can't afford uh, to just pay for, um, you know, a a nursing home right out of your retirement nest egg and uh, you want to, you know, be sure to shield some of your assets then long-term care insurance can be extremely valuable, uh, but it is costly. um, And it is something that, um, you know, Hey, if you're married, you can get it quite a bit cheaper than somebody who is single. So it's something to think about, but it's another advantage to being a married couple. Now, by pooling insurance needs, insurance costs go down. Also, married couples are likely to get into fewer car accidents than single people. So multi-policy discounts and the lower price that comes with being married are just a few insurance benefits. Married couples pay approximately four to 10% less on premiums for car insurance, right? So you can pay less on car insurance when you're married, right? Other discounts include multi-car policies and bundling homeowner's insurance with auto insurance. Some home insurers offer discounts just for being married. Uh, Be sure to ask once you are hitched, right? So more value there. Now, again, two incomes is better than one, right? So that can be a value to being married as well, right? You just have more income coming around. Uh, So if you apply for, let's say, $150,000 home mortgage, which in today's housing market is, you know, kind of bleak, but let's say you did. $150,000 home mortgage as a single adult. You may have only your own income for the bank to consider. Now, as a married couple, your combined income likely would allow you to qualify for a larger loan with better terms, assuming that your credit scores are reasonable. Just remember that income isn't the only factor. Lenders also examine credit histories, um, the total and type of debt, as well as borrower's debt to income ratio, right? So both uh, individuals have to have those things, you know, well lined out. But at the same time, uh, you can qualify for a much larger loan based on the fact uh, that you are married. But also, being a married individual, um, I mean, just hypothetically, you could uh, apply for a loan on your own. Uh, and I'm not saying we should be going to, into debt for anything, but you can apply for loans on your own, and um, you know, have whoever has the better credit history or credit score be the one who applies for the loan over the next person. Now, speaking of credit, uh, because everyone's credit score is attached to their social security number, uh, getting married doesn't erase or, or start a new your spouse's credit history. However, marriage creates a history of joint debts and new accounts when open for each spouse, which is also reflected in an individual's credit histories. Both credit scores will be affected uh, into the approval process when couples jointly open an account. If one partner has poor credit, both could be out of luck when lenders open, Uh, a joint account as it would result in a denial or higher rates and fees. Of course, the opposite is true. If one partner has better credit than the other, their history and habit of meeting payments on time can help the other partners score. Now, let's talk real quick about financial protection before we get through with today's episode. So, Most people don't get married for financial protection, but marriage provides that advantage for both spouses. For starters, uh, if one of you goes through a bad patch professionally or medically, uh, there's someone else to help and probably bring in some income. It's not a stretch to say that uh, protection in a divorce is hardly a reason to marry, uh, but being married does uh, protect you if you split, right? It takes a court or a legal agreement to divide the assets of a married couple. Now, each party has some protection uh, and a chance at equitable distribution of the marital assets. When two unmarried people live together, the legal procedure to divide assets isn't straightforward. Courts have ruled in most states that divorce law doesn't apply to unmarried couples. This means that contract law will apply in dividing up the assets. So a non-spouse would have no inherent right to any other person's assets uh, even if the property had been purchased using combined funds. Uh, the exception to this rule is the handful of states that allow common law marriage. Still, it's a myth that living together for a certain period uh, gives even these partners all the rights of tr- of traditional marriage. Couples should review some of those rules to understand what applies to them and what does not. So ultimately, being married is going to protect you uh, financially more. Now, you may say, well, what if I'm the person that makes all the income and buys all the stuff and you know that's going to be Um, you know, when they divide the assets, then, you know, I'm going to get, you know, screwed. It's going to hurt me. Yeah, probably. Right. It's going, but, uh, if you go into marriage thinking of things as your stuff and my stuff, then you've got a problem right off. And, uh, obviously you can get a prenup if you actually absolutely want to. I've told you before that I think prenups are only, um, useful and valuable when you have somebody who comes into marriage, uh, with a substantial amount of assets, Uh, well above the other individual. Now, other benefits of marriage. So aside from tax considerations, better health care, access to financial services and legal protection, couples should consider the often overlooked benefits and potential economic trade-offs of getting married, right? Uh, We'll start with the best benefit of all. Married individuals tend to live longer than unmarried ones, right? While the reasons for that fact are complex, the numbers uh, and benefits can't be ignored, especially regarding retirement planning. Speaking of long-term planning, couples should also consider that getting married doesn't necessarily equal an excuse for a big party. Uh, With the average wedding costing $19,000 in 2020 and contributing little upside to positive marital outcomes, couples should weigh that cost against the idea of a down payment on a home or some other financial benefit, right? So basically saying don't overspend on on a wedding when, you know, how valuable is it really to have that wedding that you always dreamed of? So ultimately, look, I'm going to be the first to tell you that I love being married, that I love my wife, that I um, think that on top of all of these financial benefits, which are true and which many of, you know, which we take advantage of, um, I I think that it's just, you know, it's a great thing. You find somebody that you love, that you care for, uh, and that you can spend the rest of your life with. Hopefully, if you're working at it and it's not saying things are going to be perfect or things won't be messy, but it's saying uh, that you'll have somebody to go through this life with and hopefully live longer uh, and live better lives uh, together, both financially and otherwise. Um, But again, it's work. I know some people, even with these benefits, it's not going to uh, be enough to push them onto the side of, yeah, let's get married. Uh, But maybe there are a few people who would listen to this and go, hey, maybe getting married isn't such a bad idea even from a practical standpoint because i think that's the problem so many people don't think of marriage you know as anything but some type of practical logical something right uh, but they miss all of these big advantages they miss all of these things that really work in your advantage uh, financially insurance wise all these types of things uh, when it comes to your financial life so weigh the costs and benefits for yourself. I'm not pushing anybody to just go get married today, but I'm telling you, I love it. I hope my wife loves it as much as I do. Uh, But I love being married and uh, the financial benefits that come along with it uh, can be quite valuable. So um, that may be a particular reason to go into it. I I would suggest if that's the reason that you're getting married, then don't. Uh, But uh, it can be just icing on the cake or the cherry on top, however you want to look at it. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify Podcasts, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. Then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions and you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day basis. So tune in tomorrow as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.